And with all of the buzz happening around men dominating women's sports, I decided to take a little deep dive. Keep watching to hear more. Also in the news, we have an Austin-based doctor coming forward and saying that she gave patients as young as 8 to 9 puberty blockers. You thought they waited until puberty? You thought wrong. All of this and more on today's episode of The Demetrius Over Joe Show. Facts over facts over tracks is a mess, spitting slow, spitting fast. I could roast, I could gas, think I'm okay at last, but I don't know if that can erase all the past. According to the National Library of Medicine, over the last two decades, we saw a sharp incline in the number of people wanting to transition from a woman to a man. But what people don't talk about is that in the same exact study, they say, and I quote, the prevalence gender dysphoria has recently been estimated as high as 390 to 460 per 100,000 people, with a constantly greater prevalence of trans women than trans men, female to man. But can we stop for a second and ask ourselves why this is? Why is it that men want to change into being a woman rather than the opposite? Is it because they want to dance around in a dress? Or is it because when it comes to high school and college sports, they are given more opportunity? I say it's the latter, but it's not just my opinion. Take a look at this according to the Alliance Defending Freedom. Dr. Brown cites research showing that allowing males to compete against female athletes in track and field could allow, quote, many who would not be considered top-tier male performers to replace the world's most skilled female athletes on the podium. For example, in 2017 alone, well over 5,000 males, including some under 18 years old, ran 400 meter times that were faster than the personal best of the United States Olympic gold medalists. If this doesn't tell you right here that men are built different than women, then we can go and dig deeper. According to the same exact study by Alliance Defending Freedom, despite greater body weight, males have a roughly 15-20% to 20 jumping average over women. When examining the physical jumping needed in volleyball, one study found that on average male players jumped 50% higher during an attack at the net than female players. Even if male in inhibitors and cross-sex hormones, it did not reverse the distinct advantage males have over females. Now, this whole idea of women's sports in itself is a new phenomenon. Before the 1970s, women were not represented in high school and girls' teams at all. From the 1971 to 1972 school year, only 7% of high school athletes were girls. Now, in the 2010 to 2011 school year, 41% of athletes were girls. What caused this change? Well, a little legislation called Title IX. This law made it so girls and boys have the same advantages and disadvantages on their respective teams. Also, that they were given the same opportunity as their counterparts. Looking at the data, it really did change the way sports teams were designed, and that was for the better. But why do we now want to give men the opportunity to face off against women, even though we now know that there are distinct differences between the two biological sexes? This is because schools are run by left-wing politicians that like to show off how woke they are by upping up the ante on their policies in a contest among themselves to see who can push a more woke agenda. This is a clear unfair treatment and this should not be taken lightly by the girls that play on these teams. According to the same exact study, here are a few 
of these championship titles that were taken away from actual women working their butt off every single day just to face off against a man they will never be able to defeat. At the 2018 CIAC State Open Championship, two males took first plate in second place in the women's varsity 100 meter dash. At the 2018 Indoor Track Championship, a male athlete won both the women's 55-meter dash and the women's 300-meter dash. At the 2019 CIAC Combined State Open, Open Championship, a male athlete won the women's 200-meter dash. If these men are clear as day taking scholarship scholarships opportunities and resources away from the female athletes and why doesn't title nine step in to help them out this is because the education secretary doesn't even know what a woman is roll the clip so can you please tell me or can you please define for me what is a woman uh our focus at the department is to provide equal access to students including students who are uh lgbtq access free from discrimination is that so what's the def what's the definition of a woman you haven't given me that you haven't answered my well, question I think that's almost secondary to the important role that I have as secretary of education my question is sure not secondary my question is very simple what is the def what does HHS say the definition of a woman is uh, I lead the Department of Education and my job is to make sure that all students have access to public education which includes co-curricular activities and I think you highlighted pretty well, the importance of Title IX and giving students equal access, whether it's scholarship and facilities, okay, so you're participation not answer my as question. well. If the Secretary of Education doesn't even know what Title IX does, he should not even be in any leadership positions. Congress passed Title IX, a piece of legislation intended to give women and girls equal opportunities in education. Since its passage in law, women have been given exponentially more opportunities to play organized sports. Now, what is a woman? An adult human female. What is a female? A human sex that is the opposite of male. These are very easy answers, but he doesn't want to answer these questions that could make the men winning the do and dominating women's sports upset. Boo-hoo, cry me a river so I can sail across it. Your feelings don't take priority over people's livelihood and opportunities that they worked their whole life for. Sorry, not sorry. With that being said, let's move on to the headlines of the week. You might see that this show has changed a little. That's because I wanted to freshen it up a bit. So we added a new segment near the end where you all might like. Mondays, we have Music Mondays where we act to music videos that are popular that week. But this is exclusively on Rumble. So if you want the exclusive content, head over to the link down below and check out the show on there. Also, so you know, all past episodes are already live on Rumble. Anyways, digging into the first article, we have a Project Veritas expose. Let's dig in. Moving with this first article, we actually have, starting from the top, WPATH connected transgender health doctors prescribe puberty blockers to minors as young as 8 years old and irreversible cross-gender hormones to minors as young as 14 years old. Most kids are mature enough to make a relatively informed decision, that's according to this doctor. Now let's dig into the video that we have here. said it was transition or suicide 
like I was given no choice. I was told you will kill yourself if you don't go through with these treatments. It's very much you know, pro-hormone, pro-changes. If you don't do this, your child will he'll kill themselves. That is a, the most common theme. You know that anybody can do that for so that's not an adolescent clinic. They started age 10. She did say this about like surgery. The way to go at this age, age 10, would be something like a puberty blocker. When you then get to age 14 uh, is when I'll consider some, you know, cross-gender hormones. 14 is a reasonable age. Most, most kids are mature enough to make a relatively informed uh, okay, so I'm going to stop them right here. If they can make an informed decision, why don't we let them drink? Why don't we let them get a firearm? Why don't we let them get tattoos? Why don't we let them get their license? Why don't we let them get a car? Why don't we let them get a house, a mortgage? Why don't we let them rent from other people? We don't because we, we typically wait until 18 in the United States because we know that at 18, you have went through enough in your life to to have a relatively informed decision. Not 14 years old when you're in the middle of middle school. Because like we said, social contagion is the most prevalent during middle school to high school because you're being indoctrinated by these teachers, not only these teachers, but your classmates and all these other things that you will not normally do if you are by your own devices when you're 18 to 21. Anyone who says that you can change your sex is lying to you. You will be chasing constant drugs and surgeries for the rest of your life. Ten years old, come in, Barbie. Ten, eleven, yes. Most of the kids are nowhere talking about in any kind of brain space to really talk about it in a serious way. I still want the kids to be happy, happier in the moment. The science isn't really settled about the best way to do that. We want in our own therapist to write off letters saying what we're staying our surgeries. And they have to understand that the, the surgery itself is irreversible. On that very first appointment with so on Gordon, that very first appointment with Shana Gordon, path. she told she me my projected path. She said you are going to get top surgery and bottom surgery because you need it to be aligned, and I will write you your letters of recommendation, yours for hormones. But this is your path. Meet Prisha Mosley. At age 25, she is undergoing the gender detransition process after medical professionals convinced her as a troubled teenager that she was a boy, needed to inject testosterone, and have a double mastectomy just after her 18th birthday. I began testosterone within weeks by getting a letter of recommendation, which the trans community told me I needed to unlock all treatment. So I found a gender-affirming therapist who was certified by WPATH online, and I had a very brief, like, 15 to 30-minute appointment with her, wherein she told me that I was a boy. So then I took that letter of recommendation to a pediatric endocrinologist, and that very same day, I started testosterone, and then not even a whole year later, at 18, I had a radical double mastectomy. Project Veritas has previously reported on WPATH, the World Professional Association for Transgender Health. WPATH is at the epicenter of the nearly billion-dollar industry diagnosing gender dysphoria and the subsequent sex reassignment surgery market. Uh, some of the Dutch researchers started uh, gave some data about um, young adults who had transitioned and reproductive regret, like regret, and it's there. 
Um, and I don't think any of that surprises us. I try to talk about it, but most of the kids are nowhere in any kind of a brain space to really, really, really talk about it in a serious way. Uh, that's always bothered me, but you know, we still want the kids to be happy, happier in the moment, right? No, we don't because we kids don't know best. Kids are going to tell you, they're going to sit there. They're going to tell you, oh, I'm a princess. Oh, I'm a firefighter. I used to say that I wanted to be a firefighter when I was little. What are we going to take that and say, no, don't. Now you have to be a firefighter. Then I don't want to be a firefighter. If you're telling me what to do, I don't want to be a firefighter. If I tell you why I want to do something when I'm little, it doesn't make any sense because it's based off of the day. It's based off of that hour. It's based off of what I'm watching on TV. I wanted, I thought that I was a robot when I was little because I wanted to go into Phineas and Ferb and go with Doofensmirts, if you know what I'm talking about. That's a TV show on Disney. So I used to watch Disney all the time. So that could persuade me into thinking that I wanted to do a certain thing when I'm older. I wanted to be a scientist when I was younger. I don't want to be a scientist now. So things can change over time. When you're a kid, you don't know what's going on in your in your whole entire life because you have that life in, ahead of you. You don't actually know what you want to do. You don't actually know who you are because you're seven years old. You're 10 years old, 11, 12, 13. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do when I was older or as a grown up until I was 18, until I was 19, because in actuality, I knew nothing about the world when I was younger. I, I knew nothing about it. Even though I knew or I thought I knew about the world, I had no idea about bills. I had no idea about credit cards. I had no idea about mortgage. I had no idea about your credit score. I had no idea about the most fundamental financial decisions that I could be making for myself. Nonetheless, that's, that's neglecting the whole entire other facet of my life is I just thought that food appeared in the fridge. That's just neglecting everything else. I knew that food happened to just appear in the fridge. I knew that we just got it from the supermarket, but I did not know how to earn money. I did not know how to balance credit cards. I did not know how to track my spending. I didn't know any of that, but that happened later in life with research and time going into this. And as soon as I turned 18, I was ready for all of these financial decisions that I was putting ahead of myself. That's because time went on. I matured. I wasn't just going to spend money on these worthless things at Toys R Us anymore. I wasn't going to just spend worthless toys at Walmart anymore. I knew how to get exactly what I needed because I'm not a child anymore. I got maturity and I grew up. That's exactly what everybody needs to do. But, you know, we still want the kids to be happy, happier in the moment, right? At the core of our investigation, is just how quickly medical professionals will offer life-altering treatments to young children, which begs the question, how young is too young? Exactly. Just, I've never done a 10-year-old, yeah. to be quite fair with you. I've done 15, 16. Meet Dr. Matthew Pabis, a family medicine specialist at the St. Mark's Institute in New York City. Here, he admits that he performs transgender surgery on children as young as 15. You don't think anybody can do that for a 10-year-old to do the surgery? They could, yeah. That's, yeah. Who, that's who we're looking for. That, we're looking that for people that can do again, that. That's going to be definitely a psych psychiatrist to sign off on it. Okay. 100%. If we were able to get that, though, from yeah. a certified psychi yeah. psychiatrist, then we could bring that into the person. The surgeon and able to do it. They wouldn't true. be like, oh, they're too young. 
Again, the sort of psychology they I'm going to hook you up with the groups that actually do this, like centers. Okay. Yeah, centers that do this. Yeah. So they will have all the resources in one. I'm not going to leave you hanging. Just at 10 years old, it's right right old. Old. Right so right right old. 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 So I don't know. I don't want to short change. I don't want to short change. Testosterone blockers. Testosterone blockers. Some short bones. You know what I mean? I don't know if you know what I mean. I don't know if the letter puberty or whatever they do or whatever they do. Age 14. It's just the trauma. It's just the trauma. Of course, no, 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 no. The trauma of you actually going through your your designed thing. <laughs> I just can't. The trauma. The trauma. Oh my god. The trauma. Listen. If you think that going through puberty is trauma, you need psycho psychological. You need psychological help. And it's not the help that they want to give you, it's the help that you need. You need to realize that you are actually the sex that you are. You need to embrace the fact that you are. If you don't want to embrace the fact that you're a feminine, then you don't have to. You can be a you can be a tom girl. But it doesn't mean that you are the opposite sex. That's the most important. If you are a guy and you want to paint your nails, it doesn't mean that you're the opposite sex. It means that you're just a feminine guy. It means that you're a masculine girl. It does not mean that you have completely turned the boat around and you're the opposite sex. Embrace the fact that you are a girl or you're a girl or a guy. And that's exactly what you guys need to do. Like, should we just be on blockers now? Like, where nothing's going to grow. Testosterone block, the hormone blockers... Um, once you get over, like, they'll just stop you where you are. So I can, I'd have to think about it. I just don't do it to such young kids, 10 year olds. Mm. But I'll look, I'll call around and find a place for you guys. I won't leave you guys hanging. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I know Callum Moore, I don't know if you look them up. They're, no. the, they're, they're a big uh, thing. They might do children. I just will call around. We went to Callan Lord, which describes itself as, quote, the global leader in LGBTQ healthcare. The community health center based in New York City was quick to address what services could be offered to our hypothetical 10 year old. I, so I'm not sure like why we mm -hmm. don't take people in the way they're 13. So um, we don't like have any uh, like surgical care. That's not like part of anything we do here. Okay. But we refer, refer patients like we have like surgery navigators, like a team of okay. them that help with um, like external surgery. Yeah, I don't know what the youngest would be, but I can get, try to get like that information. So um, I spoke to her and so she said the only reason that we cut off at 13 is because we're like a teen adolescent program. Mm, That's like literally okay. the reason that we don't have like pediatric care. Okay. She said that it definitely exists, like pediatric trans care definitely exists. So Mount Sinai Adolescent Clinic, they started age 10. This is the doctor, um, okay. kind of supportive, have tons of group and supportive services. So this is the website to it. So we spoke to Dr. Stever, who had this to say regarding minors seeking transgender care. Would the next step, or is there a possibility that we could get my puberty blockers soon? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, a 10 year old, um, you know, so I, I, you know, I follow the WPATH guidelines, um, you know, the World Professional Association Transgender Health Guidelines. And really what they would say is um, uh, the way to go at this age, age 10, would be something like a puberty blocker, either luprolide, which is an injection every three months, or uh, tryptorelin, which is an injection every six months. Um, and that really stops puberty pretty quickly so that no further 
development of the secondary sexual characteristics um, happen. So things like there's no real chest development, there's no menstruation, things like that. And it's a safe medicine to use for up to three, four years or so. Um, after that, there's some question about bone acquisition. When you then get to age 14 uh, is when I'll consider some you know, cross-gender hormones. 14 is a reasonable age. Most, most kids are mature enough to make a relatively informed uh, decision. Okay, so how about if we follow that same exact kid that started when he was 10 years old, and then now four years down the line, he just took these puberty blockers, he stopped puberty, or she stopped puberty, she has no breasts, so he has no man part, we're not going to say on the show, um, and his whole entire life is ruined now because it stunted his growth, growth he does not fit into any gender now because he stopped his puberty so he doesn't look like a man he's he is artificially looking like a woman so he doesn't look like a woman and then now we can go to the to the girl and say no now the girl does stunted her growth she has no you know upstairs of her she has no downstairs of her it's just completely mutilated four years down the pipeline and four years down the pipeline, you're still very, very young. 14 years old is still very, very young. I did not know what the heck I was going to be when I was 14 years old. And now we're just going to say, yeah, cross-sex hormones. And then now you're going to take the opposite sex. If you're a guy, you're going to take estrogen. If you're a girl, you're going to take testosterone. What, so we're going to bulk you up? No, like, I just don't understand what you think is going to happen in the age that you're talking about in 10 to 14 years old nothing's gonna change 14 years old they're gonna say yeah yeah this is the best decision i'm ever gonna make four years down the line now eight years into this transition or this quote-unquote transition you're going to say mm, is this exact is this what i want to do at 20 years old it's found that you will commit suicide this does not mitigate the the harmful effects of of your disability of your gender dysphoria what you needed to do was actually go to a therapist and have them embrace the fact that you are a girl or you are or embrace the fact that you are a guy. We need to bring that back. Now, with that being said, that's going to do it for the headlines of the week. Now let's move into the media's take. Moving into the first article, we actually have a CNN article. We have Ron DeSantis facing challenges at home. Will, pre will test presidential ambitions overseas. After a trying week of his national political ambitions, Governor Ron DeSantis is heading abroad this week for a series of visits to allied nations, an opportunity for Florida Republican to step onto the international stage for the first time as a likely presidential contender. The official purpose behind DeSantis' globetrotting is an international trade mission. According to his office, DeSantis, as well as First Lady Casey DeSantis and two respective representatives of his administration, will travel to Japan, South Korea, Israel, and the United Kingdom to meet with officials to chat up political business partnerships. The trade mission will give us an opportunity to strengthen economic relationships and to continue dem to demonstrate Florida's position as an economic leader, the governor said in a news release on Thursday. While in Israel, DeSantis will also keynote an event hosted by the Jerusalem Post in the M Museum of Tolerance, Jer Jerusalem. The appearance 
there comes at a time of increased tension between the United States and its Middle East ally over Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu judicial overhaul proposal. The trip will spotlight DeSantis's foreign policy credentials as he inches toward the White House bid. DeSantis wrote to national cons- consciousness as a pan- pandemic contrarian and by leading his state through a series of cultural fights. But his view on the world's affairs has been less scrutinized until recently when the governor offered a series of contradicting opinions on the war in Ukraine. Okay, so I don't know what you CNN's trying to get at, so let's continue here. DeSantis remarked that support for Ukraine was not a vital national interest set off alarm bells among Harkish Republicans in Congress before the governor backtracked an interview with Piers Morgan and called for Russian President Vladimir Putin a war criminal. He farther obscured his position a few days later by dismissing the war as a fight over the borderlands. Over his nearly six years as a congressman in Washington, DeSantis, a a former naval lawyer stationed in both Guantanamo Bay in Iraq served as the House Foreign Affairs Committee, where he was ta- where he was often critical of President Barack Obama's overseas agenda. As governor, he was urged hardline policies against communist governments in Cuba and China, and recently banning TikTok on state government devices and pushing legislation that would make it illegal for Chinese nationals to buy property in China in the Florida. Guantanamo Bay in Iraq served as the House Foreign Affairs Committee where he was even as he is scheduled to meet with the allies to encourage business with his state. DeSantis on Friday poked fun at the United Nations Committee resolution that criticized an anti-riot law he championed as governor. I wear that criticism as a badge of honor, honor, he said at the event hosted by the Heritage Foundation outside of Washington. DeSantis' trip abroad makes the first time that he left the United States soil unofficial business since the early days of the first term as governor. In 2019, when he visited Israel Israel, along with the state's elected cabinet members as an elected official, DeSantis has not visited a foreign country other than Israel. DeSantis's predecessor, now United States Senator Rick Scott, embarked on more than a dozen trade missions during his tenure as governor. DeSantis, though, has focused largely on issues at home, while also dealing with coronavirus outbreak that significantly restricted travel for most of his first term. So I don't even know if I should continue the CNN article because again, they're having a lot of obvious, obviously they're having a one-sided view on this. They don't like DeSantis. They obviously want DeSantis to back away because they know that DeSantis is very, very powerful. And they know that Trump had a 25% approval rating at the time of making this video and at the time of the election in 2020. He had a 35% approval rating. So if he lost with other factors factoring in, if he lost with a 35% approval rating, Donald Trump, then Donald Trump's going to lose again. If we had the same exact match matching up in 2024, Trump is bound to lose. And his approval rating is only dropping. And with DeSantis, DeSantis is well known, but he's not as well known as every single American already having an opinion on him.
He's known, but he's not as known as Trump, obviously. Now, moving on to the next article, we actually have an MSNBC article. We have America's Stand Your Ground Horror Story. In the case of George Zimmerman, the law kept him out of prison. Will Ralph Yaw's shooter walk free as well? Um, now, this is obviously very wrong, but let's see what they have to say. You have heard the horror story too many times before. A black teenager shot down during a mundane errand. In 2012, it was a quick trip to a convenience store. The teenager was 17, and he was on his way back to his father's place with a bottle of juice and a bag of Skittles. He was wearing a hoodie. His name was Tyvon Martin. A 28-year-old neighbor, George Zimmerman, claimed he was acting in self-defense when he shot Tiverman. There had been a series of robberies in the area. He said he shot Tiverman because he was afraid. He, fairly, he feared bodily harm. Months passed before Zimmerman was actually arrested and charged with which in charged. Zimmerman was not charged on the spot because police said that they could not disprove his vision of events. That was he that he was defending himself, that he stood his ground. Okay, so obviously we're missing a little bit of, you know, context here. If he says that something was happening, let's look at the fact and say, okay, let's let's see security footage, let's see this, let's see that. Were you actually acting in self-defense or were you just doing this out of I don't know, as an excuse. Are you just saying that because you want this to be an excuse? So this is what a lot of people are not saying. We need self-defense in this country because this is what holds the country together. But we can't just go around killing each other because that's not going to be the solution either. If we constantly do an eye for an eye, nobody is left with sight anymore. Everybody is blind. If we do a hand for a hand, then everybody cannot have any more hands because we have done it so many times. There needs to be a certain extent that we are going to go, but there can't be too much of an extent because that's overboard, but we can't get to go too little of an extent because that's just not going to work. There needs to be a happy middle ground. After weeks of protesters surrounding the alarm, Zimmerman was finally charged with second-degree murder. Eventually, he was acquitted. Okay, so because of in the United States, we do not go based off of protests. We do not make actions and laws based off of protests in this country because we're entitled to a fair and just jury in the jury of our prayers. We're, we're entitled to this in the United States. And in some states, if we don't try the people, if we don't go to court and try to sue the people and try to get them arrested within two days, they have to get, go back home for the, for the temporary dates until we do have a court date scheduled for them. In 2020, a 25-year-old black man went to the, an afternoon jog in coastal Georgia town. His workout caught the attention of three local men who grabbed their guns, hopped in a truck, and began to follow the jogger. The men said that they had been a string of robberies in the area. They said that they were scared. They said that the, they thought the jogger was a thief. The jogger was Ahmed Armory. The men chased him down and shot him dead. Still, they also walked away from the shooting as free men. They claimed that they were defending themselves under the state's stand-your-ground laws. More than 10 weeks passed before the men were arrested. They were eventually convicted of murder. Stand-your-ground laws have exploded after 2012 when Zimmerman's killed Tyrone Martin. Laws in at least 28 states and Puerto Rico allow that there is no duty to retreat an attacker in any place in which one is lawfully pre present. Instead, a person who is reasonably believes that they are in danger of death or serious harm can use deadly force. But the law tends to exacerbate some political fatal racial disparities. First, there is a question on 
whose presence is in the country and often deemed suspicious or questionable and the who's really are okay so the thing is that we're we're taking a racist approach at this already but we're not going to sit here and say that in upstate new york a shooting happened the same exact situation as what they're going to start saying because again this is what happened with another guy so a black man went up to a a house and he was shot through the door this is this happened recently but at the same exact time a few days prior to this i would say in upstate new york a group of girls went up to a house he they went up the wrong driveway and they were shot at multiple times this girl was white but the media doesn't want, want to talk about the the latter case because the former case sounds better to them they want to take the racial approach to everything because it garners headlines and it makes some money but they don't want to sit here and say listen we're going to apply this fairly no they want don't want to apply this situation fairly because of the fact that they know that there is no or almost no racist people in the united states we voted a black president in the united states you cannot say america is racist moving into the next article we actually have a daily wire article we have united states diplomats evacuated from sudan as conflict and testifies american diplomats and their families have been evacuated from sudan as fighting between racial factors has intensified. Reuters reports that the process involved half a dozen aircraft and was carried out in coordination with the Rapid Support Forces. According to an earlier reporting, 70 personnel were to be evacuated, though many Americans remain in Sudan. The State Department acknowledges that some records show that 16,000 citizens may be in Sudan, but officials consider those figures to be inflated, CBS News reports. Other foreign nationals begin evacuating from a Red Sea port in Sudan on Saturday. Raiders noted, noted that adding the urban warfare has made the existing exiting the nation increasingly difficult, leading many stranded in the capital city of Khartoum. On Thursday, National Security spokesperson spokesman John Kirby spoke at the White House press briefing during which he discussed the increasingly dangerous conditions in Sudan specifically in Khartoum. The focus right now is on is on urging both sides to stop this violence, to abide by a ceasefire, to allow humanitarian aid to get to people that they are, that need it, Kirby said. I mean, there's already shortages of food. There's concern over shortages of medicine and water. The situation is dire in, in Khartoum. And we continue to urge both sides now to stop this violence. Multiple other nations have either pulled citizens out of Sudan or are planning evacuations, including Saudi Arabia and Jordan. Evacuations are increasingly challenging as both sides involved in the conflict have failed to observe of here ceasefire agreements reached in order to allow for safe passage. CBS News reports that over 400 people have been killed in the conflict since April 15. President Joe Biden released a statement regarding the operation to exacerbate the embassy personnel from Sudan, thanking service members as well as the nations of Dubai, Ethiopia, and Saudi Arabia for their apparent assistance. The president went on to condemn the ongoing violence. We are, this is what he said, and I quote, we are temporarily suspending operations at the United States embassy in Sudan, but our commitment to Saudi Sea people, Saudi Sea people, and the future they want for themselves is unending, the statement concluded. 
Okay, so this is the thing. This is a really bad situation. And of course, everything falls apart when it's in the hands of Joe Biden. If we were going back into 2020 or 2021, this was really never happening. I mean, except for the Afghanistan situation in the Afghanistan failure that we had as the as many of our military officials were sadly killed in a, a suicide bombing. This really never happened under Donald Trump's watch. Moving into the next article, we actually have a Federalist article. We have Bill Lee's red flag law is an unconstitutional travesty. The Tennessee governor confuses do something isn't them with bravery with bravery. Tennessee Governor Bill Lee is asking lawmakers to support new legislation that would temporarily block someone who is deemed a threat to themselves or others from having guns, writes Axios. That's one way of putting it. Another more precise way would be to say Lee supports a law that forces people accused of a pre-crime to sit down with state-appointed psychiatrics and lawyers to prove their innocence before the government decides if they can keep their guns. If that person says uh, the wrong things, cop can show up at the home, search it, demand the accused hand over his property, not just any property, but property explicitly protected by the Constitution, without offering any evidence that he's committed or ever planned to commit a crime. In selling his bill, Lee claims that guns can be taken from those accused of having a psychiatric disorder, alcohol dependence, or drug dependence. But federal law prohibit, already prohibits the sale of a gun to anyone who has been adjudicatedly as a medical defective. And many people who drink or take drugs don't have a propensity toward violence. Exclusive, excessive drinking might be bad for you, but it's illegal. As it's as is gambling about chemtrails, pondering how to overthrow the government and hating your neighbors. Intentionally, if an alcoholic is found guilty of a pre-crime, Lee's bill only affords, affords him a single hearing to rectify the situation for each act of suspension, suspension, suspicion, which can be in effect for up to 180 days. Even if he pulls his life together, repents, and becomes a devout Seventh-day activist. The state can keep asking for extensions on the on privity. Of course, even those who with prevalent depression with an emotional disorder aren't often would-be killers. One in eight Americans take antidepressants. Yet, one suspect laws suspects laws like this will only stigmatize depression and make gun owners less inclined to seek help. More importantly, though, Lee Fall fails to mention in his fact sheets that the bill allows the state to take firearms on the basis of a serious behavioral condition, which includes functional impairment and substantially interferes with or limits a person's role of functioning in a family, school, occupational, or community activities. The, the antics are mine, because Lee's standards, despite his connection, contention, that there is a high burden of proof could include basically anyone who met the psychiatric diagnostic criteria for depression and stopped going to a weekly softball game. Sure, the law includes penalties for false and bad faith statements by cops and third parties, but those would be all impossible to prove or prosecute because the basis of the statute issuing a temporary mental, a mental health order of protection is extraordinarily broad. If someone is threatening others with violence, Tennessee already has numerous laws on the books that allow for arrest. 
If it already has a law that allows for the immediate detention of people that are, that are deemed dangerous to themselves or others, every state does. And yet, the numerous recent mass shootings, the perpetrator has been known to the police, and they did nothing. The Covenant school shooting Lee, Lee maintains makes it possible not to act makes it impossible to not to act. But it's important to remember that as far as we know, nothing in Lee's proposal would have stopped the shooter. The mother, who never appears to be reported reported her daughter for mental illness, probably wasn't even aware that her adult child still owned guns. As far as we know, the killer never threatened anyone publicly before the shooting, nor did she pose a danger to herself. For all we know, the shooting was an act of terrorism or conducted over some personal grudge. We didn't know until or if the sheriff of Nashville releases her manifesto. One suspects that gun controllers will soon cook up studies to tell us red flag laws are, main, uh, are amazing. But the, to this point, no major study, including a meta-analysis conducted by Rand Corporation, R-A-N-D, has ex conclusively found them to be effective. Many of these state laws are even worse than Lee's proposal, as they are permitted ex parte orders. But even if these laws are useful on the margins, they are serious attack on the 2nd, 4th, 5th, and 6th amendments. Red flag laws just give authorities power to work around normal evidentiary standards. Perhaps we should try to uphold the tens of thousands of laws that already govern gun ownership before passing new ones. And I completely agree with this. If the laws on the book that protect children are not helping children, then we need more security at schools. That's the, that's the main issue here. We're not going to sit here and say, no, we need to take your guns away. No, because the law-abiding citizens are not going to break the laws. They're law-abiding citizens. I, like, are, do people have a hard time following this? Law-abiding citizens don't break laws. It is against the law to kill a child. It's against the law to bring a firearm to a school. These are laws that we already have on the books. But, of course, we don't want to talk about that for some strange reason. Now, moving on to the next article, we actually have another article from The Federalist. We have clueless criminal ed crit critics accidentally make a killer case for it. If you think classical education is racist, tell, you, tell that to W.E.B. Dubois. With one small hiatus, I've spent the better part of the last 20 years involved in the educational education. My own children has received a classical education, and being informally for familiar with the classical model, I'm a big believer in this pr particular approach to learning. So what I noticed a popular trend on what is unfortunately, unfortunately the internet's most influential website, perpetrating the Demophisty, the growing interest in classical education, it naturally caught my attention. With the failures of, of public education becoming more evident daily, the, the interest in classical education has suddenly become intense. Obviously, I was curious about what the people were saying, but upon reading the thoughts of Michael Heria, a communalist for the GRIO guest on MSNBC programs, board-certified WAMP, Wapiologist and for our purposes, guy with 500,000 Twitter followers. I was dumbstruck. All I could think of was the Adam Sandler's 1995 classic film, Billy Madison, with which underneath its facial facade, it appropriately enough, a Clarison call for the necessary of quality education. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought 
Everyone in the room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points. And may God have mercy on your soul. Dead white guy, dead white guy is bad. If you suspect I'm being getting being so too harsh, I'm happy to have you read that the thread and come to your own conclusions. Regardless, let's taste let's taste test the held broth of fallacies, ignorance, and ill-defined acu- accusations of racism, shall we? To the extent I can pull out a province out of the Harriet mess, it seems to be that classical education doesn't measure a student's ability to learn or teach them to learn. It teaches the students to learn like white people learn, who have already been deemed smart because they know white things. While Obviously, there are cultural differences that can affect one's learning environment. I, along with the vast majority of normal people, don't happen to believe that the basic knowledge and how you go about learning is a it is rel- relative to one skin color. Yet, educats everywhere increasingly believe that what Harriet is saying, for instance, a proposed California mathematics curriculum declares that focusing on students getting the right answer, asking students to show their work, and grading them based off of the ability to do problems correctly is white supremacy culture in the mathematics classroom. Of course, it's even worse in subjects that aren't as literal as math. In response to the Black Lives Matter movement, Reuters English Department announced that it will be rejecting traditional grammar instruction introduction in favor of critical grammar, yet another absurd academic idea to grow out of the Marxist critical theory hydra. This approach challenges the familiar dogma that writing instruction should limit emphasis on grammar slash sentence level issues, so as to not put students from multilingual, non-standard economic English backgrounds at a disadvantage, said an email written by Reuters English department chair, Rebecca Walchevich. Instead, it encourages student to de- students to develop a critical awareness of the varsity of choices available to them with regard to micro issues in order to empower them to equip them to push against biases, biases based on written ex- accents. To the extent that we do have to the extent we do have to introduce race into any of these debates, read, read that email again and ask yourself, is there anything that is more a product of white culture run amok than this obtuse academic If Wolchewitz was forced to explain what she was doing here with any actual directness and clarity, it would be even more obs- obvious, pardoning, and stupid than it already is. But I'm not honestly sure Harriet herself understands the value of written communication, period. See, classical education is bad because it requires people different people to learn the same skills. To prove his point, until he tells the story of a his cousin who apparently had perfect pitch and could play all kinds of music by ear. But when he made it to junior high, he couldn't get into the band because he couldn't read music. His problem was not, was not that he couldn't read music, it was that he couldn't learn the method of translating sounds, notes, terrible cliffs, etc. that was created for people who do not know how to what he does was created for people that don't know how to do what he knows what to do. I'd argue that playing music by ear is actually reading music. While musicians who can't read music may thrive in certain contexts, there are many, many reasons that 
there are a specific as they are obvious why why reading music would be a pre but for getting 30 kids in a school band to play together regardless follow the logic here if it's better to play by ear than to read music then it's better to alliterate for speech too written communication is just for people who do not know how to talk and memorize speeches people who talk do not don't write are actually writing People who talk and don't write are actually writing. Anyways, being asked to demonstrate objective facts and learn shared rules of language to promote mutual understanding while universally understanding to be an essential part of all forms of education until about 15 minutes ago. Claiming that this feature is unique to classic education, let alone that this is racism, is equal parts dishonest and insulting. So then, what exactly does Harriet think that classical education is? Harriet claims that he had a classical education, but that appears to be a shorthand for the fact that, quote, my mom was big on the classics. Whatever that means, he knows enough on the name check Dorothy Sayers, who wrote the essay, quote, The Lost Tools of Learning, which was a very influential in the classic ed movement. He also briefly mentions the soci sociatric methods and he posts a graphic illustrating the trivia trivia ton but he doesn't go into specifics of any of this granted he's doing all of this on twitter so perhaps he can be forgiven for not getting granular except that when he does settle on defining defining classical education is little more than something something dead white guys had but there's a bigger reason why classical education is a sham all these people are dumb. All these philosophers from Greece and Rome were wrong. They thought the sun revolved around the earth. They thought the moon was a star. They didn't know things. If you suspect Heria is one of, if you suspect Heria is one who doesn't know things, well, come collect your prize. Let me introduce to you Estriosus of Samos, an ancient Greek astronomer and mathematician who presented the first known polaristic model that placed the sun at the center of the known universe with the earth revolving around the sun once a year rotating um, around its axis once per day. Archerus wasn't the only Greek to say this either. According to the plumber Plutarch, another Greek astonisher, Solidus of Solosarissa, demonstrated that the earth revolved around the sun a century later than Archerus though no record of this proof, his proof survives. Archerus also made key discoveries about the size of the moon and the sun, as well as far away they were from the Earth. Corporus and Tycho Bari had made discoveries about astronomy, utilizing Astrodorus' work because they weren't arrogant enough to decide he didn't know things, merely because he lived 1,800 years before they did. I mean, you can believe this rogue couldn't prove his theories about stellar paradox just because telescopes hadn't been invented yet. And I completely agree. So if you think that everyone before you is dumb just because they had a different opinion than you, then it's not racist in itself. Now, I completely agree with that article. And that, and being said, and that being said, we're going to end this. With that being said, we're going to move into Music Monday. And if you do not listen to this podcast on Rumble, then that's going to be it for this episode. Please, 
if you did if you don't listen to this podcast on rumble then that's going to be it for this episode and i will see you guys tomorrow thank you all for watching and if you'd like this episode please like and subscribe down below because i do post new episodes of this show every single monday wednesday and friday thank you all for watching the demetrius Rojo show is copyright Rojo studios 2023 thank you all and have a great one